Hey there, I'm Breezy. Welcome to Breezy Lifestyle. This super real and helpful series is called From Struggle to Success. I bridge a majorly helpful gap and bravely share my real life struggles and show how neuroscience and psychology tools absolutely can create a better life for all of us without prescription medication. You can live a better life even if labeled with a mental health disorder. We discover the power within ourself and how to shape the world around us as we need it for a lifetime. Through the foundation of science and my real life, I show how you can turn any struggle into an absolute success without totally having to change who you are. It's all about making better choices every day to feel better, to live better for a lifetime. I took back control of my life and so can you. Welcome to From Struggle to Success. This episode will change your life if you choose to consider any of the information relayed today. As I must advise, I am not a medical professional and I am not telling you to alter your current regimen. I am informing you of research findings derived from data found on PubMed, as well as sharing my real life experiences with these substances. I offer my neurodivergent self to all of you as a real-life human test subject that aims to reduce the symptoms of depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD, and PTSD. My efforts are also to directly and positively impact sleep, which is the absolute foundation to how we function. When we sleep better, we feel better, and therefore we live better. This is a deep scientific fact, and for those struggling with depression, I personally urge you to reclaim your sleep, which ultimately means you will reclaim your life. Check out the life-changing course on the website to begin your upgrade. We need to get on the same page before diving into the amazing information of natural and holistic SSRI options. The first page we need to get clear on is that depression is a very heterogeneous disorder. This means there are many different expressions of depression that come from a wide array of causal factors and present themselves differently from person to person. So my depression is likely not the same as yours if you have depression. There is no single treatment approach that works for everyone with depression. Basically, we don't know what causes depression. More and more, we are moving away from the idea that it is due to serotonin and may be far more likely due to how much stress we choose to subject ourselves to on a daily basis in conjunction with sleep quality. And if, if you know anything about sleep and stress, they are hand in hand. The second page we need to clear up is a study published very recently, literally like a week ago, in the Journal of Molecular Psychiatry, and they concluded that there is no clear evidence that serotonin levels or serotonin activity is responsible for depression. Researchers from University College London conducted an umbrella review of past meta-studies and systematic analysis of depression's relationship to serotonin. For years, a chemical imbalance of serotonin has been widely viewed as the culprit for depression, right? Resulting in the widespread use of antidepressants. 
This recent review study is pushing back against long-held views in medicine that depression is caused by a serotonin imbalance in the brain. So this isn't saying that depression isn't real. This is just saying that it is becoming pretty gosh darn clear, at least how, with how they have been researching, that an imbalance in serotonin does not directly correlate or cause Ooh, I'm never good with those terms. Stats class was not my big one. Um, but they're not sure if serotonin directly has to do with depression. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter that plays a key role in governing mood, sleep, digestion, and other body functions. For years, chemical imbalance of serotonin has been widely viewed as the culprit for depression, right? Resulting in the widespread use of antidepressants like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, also known as SSRIs, which boost serotonin in the brain. This recent review study is pushing back against these long-held views in medicine that depression is caused by a serotonin imbalance in the brain. And serotonin is a neurotransmitter that plays a key role in governing mood, sleep, digestion, and other body functions. Researchers are now saying that these findings call into question the basis for our use of antidepressants. And of course, and that is why we are here today to explore other options for regulating our serotonin and dopamine levels beyond prescribed SSRIs. And if you have taken a prescribed SSRI, like a lot of the people that I know, I personally have not, there's not good effects. They seem to all share similar stories of how they feel like guinea pigs and they go from a mood stabilizer and then three weeks later or something, they're put on an SSRI and then however much later then they're put on an antipsychotic and it's all just experimentation. You wanna know why it's all experimentation? Because most psychiatrists, etc., don't know diddly much about neuroscience or neurobiology, just to be fair and honest. Separate research involved examining gene variation, including gene variation of the serotonin transporter, which is a protein targeted by antidepressants, and found no difference in the genes between people with depression and healthy controls. Other studies examined in the review found the more stressful life events a person experienced, the more likely they were to be depressed. So once again, stress, they are finding more and more to be the absolute, like almost direct indicator to depression. Cortisol is not something you want to screw with. We're going to talk about it so much today. You're going to learn how my cortisol levels were basically opposite of what they should have been at day and night. Major depression is one of the most common mental disorders in the U.S., impacting more than 8% of Americans. I think it's a lot more than that, to be honest. As someone who has been personally experimenting with altering her own serotonin levels for the past four months, I have very actively been switching things out, like two weeks here, all right, let's swap that there. And being very conscious and mindful, keeping a lot of notes. I can absolutely say that it is helping to reduce the symptoms of depression that I experience. Altering my serotonin levels, though, when I use tryptophan or 
like direct serotonin supplementation, it results in immense insomnia. It is so not good. As well as because I have bipolar 2, I can really struggle with my mania. It'll just peak the mania through and through. So something to be really careful about if you have bipolar is if you are supplementing for SSRIs or taking SSRIs is to be really mindful of your manic episodes. The third page we are all meeting on is about cortisol, the main stress hormone in the body. When you're under stress, your body releases cortisol from the adrenal glands which sit on top of your kidneys. Cortisol fuels the body under stress by releasing glucose or sugar into the bloodstream. So we're super activated. Today we are stressed with trying to survive against the constant deadlines, emails, and to-dos which are resulting in us having high cortisol levels and us having high cortisol levels which seem to be a lot more often than in the past. And now our cortisol levels are peaking because of cognitive stress, not because of physical stress, and this is new to our biology. Cortisol is normally highest between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m., which is why we wake up in the morning. However, constant stress can disrupt this normal cycle, causing us to wake up in the middle of the night, for example. Does this sound familiar? I got my levels tested through an at-home test kit two years ago. Whoa. During this time, the pandemic was in full swing and I was living in a constant state of uncertainty, like a lot of us. My mental health was so poor. I found that my cortisol levels through this test displayed the way they would for those that are depressed. This means that instead of cortisol peaking in the morning to wake me up, mine was peaking at night around 9 p.m which resulted in inability to sleep and very intense anxiety. So once again, to be clear, for those that I identify as depressed, essentially your cortisol markers, if you were to get tested, more than likely will show that your cortisol is peaking in the evening rather than in the morning. And that's why we don't sleep well. What's really awful about this is that it creates this what I would call downward cycle or a snowball effect. And so when we don't sleep well, it exacerbates and creates more issues for depression and anxiety. And in turn, our depression and anxiety has created like this different kind of chemical operations inside of us. And therefore it makes it harder to sleep. And then the tougher we have to sleep, even the more dysregul dysregulated we become inside of us. So this is why we have to s stop the snowball. We have to just literally like grab it and chuck it or eat it. Like we have to stop this from happening. And how we stop this is by making different choices and doing different behaviors. And sometimes that means supplementing differently. And sometimes that means intaking things differently. Not consuming alcohol. N not consuming carbs at a certain time of day, especially junk food. So it's always about the choices we're making and how those choices impact us long term. And what I mean by long term, I mean like internally long term. Our nervous system takes a beating when we just keep doing whatever we want in life rather than what we need. So how did I fix this cortisol issue, especially over the past 
two to three years. I had to start making an immense amount of different choices every day and into every night. I had to say no to smoking marijuana in the morning and drinking alcohol at night, which I talked about in two separate podcast episodes. I certainly needed to supplement adequately, which you will learn through this episode. By reclaiming the choices I made, I in turn upgraded and revised my habits to serve my needs and therefore regulated my nervous system. The more I stick to my healthy routine that I created, the better outcomes I get every single day. I feel very normal most days nowadays. And I can't believe that I'm saying that almost because it took 33 years to get here. And it's hard seeing the baby steps of progress along the long way that is life. And that's how a lot of us can get discouraged is that when we goal set, we focus on that big, big goal. But what is important for even our neurology is to focus on the little things along the way because that big goal, that's part of our life vision. If we're just trying to get to something, once we get there, dopamine is going to make us feel really disappointed rather than proud, most likely. So just be careful about how you goal set. There's so much information on the website and in so many podcast episodes about that. And you can get really clear on your life blueprint on the website and goal setting is one of five life's fundamental components so go get it babe the fourth page that we need to get on is about taking ssris and what happens when we stop tapering off of an ssri or even missing a few doses can cause withdrawal symptoms including agitation anxiety mental confusion nausea insomnia dizziness and brain zaps The addictiveness of antidepressants has largely been downplayed from what data is showing. A team of researchers found that SSRIs are as hard to quit as highly addictive benzodiazepines. It's food for thought. Okay, we're almost done dancing together on pages. Our fifth page to get clear on is what are adaptogens? The Oxford Dictionary defines adaptogens as a natural substance considered to help the body adapt to stress and to exert a normalizing effect upon bodily processes. Some well-known examples of adaptogens are ginseng, ashwagandha, which we talked about in a previous supplement episode, and holy basil, or also known as tulsi. Adaptogens increase the state of nonspecific resistance in stress and decrease sensitivity to stressors which results in stress protection and prolong the phase of resistance. Adaptogens are awesome. All right, our last page we are meeting up and getting cozy together on is about neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters relay messages between the billions of neurons or nerve cells in our brains. They go, do, 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 here's what's happening. Here's how you feel. Here's what you're going to do now. Neurotransmitters affect many aspects of our life, ranging from moods, productivity, stress management, memory and learning ability, sleep, food cravings, addictions, including low-grade addiction, which we all have at least one. It's probably either our phone, food, or some sort of screen time. While all neurotransmitters are essential, here are the big four. Dopamine, which impacts energy, drive, focus, and motivation. It is essentially the pain-pleasure 
neurotransmitter. Serotonin, which affects mood, sleep, and immune function. I like to think of serotonin as the neurotransmitter that when you look around about life, it's going to let you know if things are okay or not. Yeah, your nervous system is going to like really let you know, but serotonin is going to activate if things are good. And you're going to be like, mm, I like all this. I love life. I did good. I made good choices. Acetylcholine, super important, influences memory and attention span. It's really important for how other things are functioning in your mind. GABA, also crucial. I, I feel like I want to like argue which one's more important, but they are all so important just in different ways. GABA, G-A-B-A, promotes calmness and contentment. It is optimal and you need it for sleep and digestion. So most sleep supplements that are like a combination of things, they have GABA in it. They also, I think, usually have 5-HTP. Mmm, yum. So basically... If you live a life where you're mainly anxious or wired or you're usually maybe a bit more energized or maybe even quick to react, yeah, let's say that, you need more serotonin. If you are more so passive, you don't have a lot of motivation and drive, maybe you even consider yourself lazy, maybe you're not a go-getter, you need more dopamine. So before we get into amazing adaptogenic supplements for our neurobiology, <laughs> aka natural SSRIs, it's important to really understand that when we're trying to help ourselves, change ourselves, better ourselves, that we are examine our behaviors first. So the first thing that we need to do always as to upgrade or better our life is to alter our behaviors through making different choices. Always. And we have to do that deeply, seriously, sincerely, and wholly. We have to entirely reform our habits and therefore we change our mood and we could even change our personality for the better, hopefully. After we deep dive into the daily choices that we make, then we should consider including supplements into our lifestyle. Only after deeply implementing lifestyle success tools and changing your behavior, making different choices, should you then choose to begin trying supplements or adaptogens to assist with living a better life. After that is therapy and professional assistance by another human. And then after that, if all those threes don't work, if that trifecta is not it for you, you probably have something that is major or severe. That is when you may find yourself prescribed to something. So just to get really clear, if you think something is not right with you, your first choice absolutely should never be to start trying prescription medication. Your first choice should always be in life to make different choices, and hopefully they are better choices. All right, it is time to super get into the juice and the meat and all the good stuff. That is natural, holistic, and alternative SSRI options. The first one is inositol. You've heard me talk about inositol. I love mixing it into my goddess chocolate milk drink. There's a few variations of it. If you want to check that out, go in the blog. Inositol is one of the most versatile nutrients for promoting brain wellness, a positive and relaxed outlook, and restful sleep. I love using it for sleep. It also is one of the most crucial nutrients for promoting female hormonal health, 
though its role in supporting optimal liver function is notable too. I will say my cycle is immensely regular, my menstrual cycle, especially now that I supplement inositol daily. Unfortunately, modern living with high stress levels, inadequate sleep, and poor nutrition, that's a lot of us, right, can rapidly imbalance our neurotransmitters. The great thing about inositol is that it works as an adaptogen. This means it promotes only what our body needs on an individual basis. It's like a little therapist or something that goes in your body and is like, here's what she needs, here's what he needs, and it prescribes what we need. To be physically and mentally healthy, we need a balance of neurotransmitters, and inositol can help with that. Inositol supports overall relaxation and helps maintain the proper metabolism of serotonin. It is used for nutritional support of brain wellness and female hormonal health through its role in healthy liver function. It may also aid in attaining a restful night's sleep. So just get really clear on that. The most common forms of myo-inositol and dechiro-inositol. We're going to talk about both of them. I recommend myo, especially in regards to mental health. Myo-inositol is the form of inositol found in the central nervous system. It plays an important role in cell membrane formation and serves a part of a crucial messenger system supporting serotonin, norepinephrine, and cholinergic receptor function. Important. Even if you don't know what all of those things are, I promise you, it's great. As a result, inositol may support healthy mood, emotional wellness, and behavior and help lessen occasional nervous tension. Research also suggests that myo-inositol may help to support healthy ovulatory activity. Absolutely agree. Ovarian function, absolutely agree. And reproductive system function. I take myonositol before bed. I take one to two grams. I will either take it as a veggie capsule supplement or I will mix it into my nighttime drink. Dechiroinositol is a member of a family of related substances often referred to collectively as inositol. Studies show dechiroinositol is involved in proper insulin and glucose metabolism and may have a role in maintaining normal lipid profiles, cardiovascular function, and ovarian function. It may also help regulate inflammatory stress and modulate serotonin activity. I've noticed a lot of the inositol options on Amazon are myo-inositol. Even if they just say inositol, they're actually myo-inositol. So it was interesting to come across this idea online that when we mention inositol, we're referring to D-chiro because in regards to the supplementation industry, at least the ones selling on Amazon, most of those are myo-inositol, which I like. I'm thankful for that, but some people, especially a bit older population, are looking for D-chiro. Inositol helps promote quality sleep, third time saying it, and I have mentioned this almost weekly in previous episodes. After all, sleep is the foundation to our life and how we function. When we sleep poorly, we function poorly. Shutdown mode, activate. GABA, there it is again, an inhibitory neurotransmitter slows down brain activity and puts our body in a calmer and more relaxed state. Low GABA activity in our body is linked to insomnia and disrupted sleep. 
Serotonin is another brain chemical that affects how we sleep. If serotonin is low, it can disrupt sleep. So, if we are low in GABA and serotonin and struggle with sleep, inositol can help bring our levels back up. Alternatively, if you struggle to get out of bed in the morning due to low dopamine levels, inositol can help bring this up instead. I love you, inositol. Inositol helps diminish the mood swings, depression, and anxiety of premenstrual syndrome, PMS, and the more severe premenstrual dysphoric and the more severe premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. Taking inositol supplements can also positively improve polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, symptoms like menstrual irregularities, infertility, weight gain, high blood sugar, and unhealthy cholesterol and triglyceride levels. Several studies found that daily doses of inositol reduced blood triglyceride levels, improved insulin function, lowered blood pressure, and promoted ovulation in women with PCOS. That's amazing. Wow. Inositol supports ovarian function so well that some nutritional supplements specifically designed to encourage fertility contain inositol. Totally. I know all sorts of even herbalists that include inositol for their clients that are trying to get pregnant and struggling. Severe mental health disorders such as anxiety, panic attacks, OCD, and depression are linked to lower levels of inositol in the brain. Inositol affects neurotransmitters, so low inositol levels may contribute to decreased serotonin activity in our brain and impact behavior and mood. Research on inositol supplementation showed improved symptoms associated with conditions affecting serotonin and the brain. In some cases, inositol was more effective than the most commonly prescribed medications. For example, one study found that people taking inositol had fewer panic attacks per week compared to those taking SSRIs. Wow. Like anxiety, inositol has benefits for depression, and this is because inositol levels are lower than average in people with depression. So it is likely for those of us that are living with depression, our inositol levels are lower than they should be. Inositol increases serotonin and creates SSRI effects, similar to antidepressant drugs like Prozac. In one study of just 28 people with depression, so very small study, High doses of inositol, 12 grams per day. I think at most I've taken 3 grams. Improved mood and all symptoms after 4 weeks. So 12 grams per day is high. It's not dangerous. It's just really high. <laughs> These studies suggest that inositol can be as effective, if not more, when compared to SSRI antidepressant drugs for different conditions. It is definitely clear that the dosage is still being explored for inositol, but the findings are phenomenal, and the effects that I've experienced on my own, I'm obviously still taking it. I love this stuff. Our next adaptogenic supplement is Kana, or Makuna Pereans. I never know how to say it. I love this stuff. This is something that I've been taking on and off for years. 
it can trigger a bit of mania in me, so I'm more so focused on Kana when I'm feeling really low. This magical bean is basically called the serotonin and dopamine bean. There is actually serotonin on the surface of the bean that causes irritation to the skin. Inside the bean is L-dopa, and data shows about 5% on average per bean is present. Wow, this is super great news. So let's break down the effects and benefits of L-dopa, or fully known as level dopa. So we already understand serotonin, and we definitely now know it is literally the casing of this bean. But I want to talk about what L-dopa is, because L-dopa isn't dopamine in and of itself, but it turns into dopamine, essentially. L-dopa is known to notably degrade the effects of Parkinson's disease. So it's that powerful for our brain. It also is known for its reduction in prolactin, increases feelings of well-being. It reduces mind irritation as well as definitely reduces pain for sciatica. Wow. So L-dopa is in a class of medications called central nervous system agents. da 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 it works by being converted to dopamine in the brain. So we can take L-dopa and then it'll turn into dopamine. L-dopa has been reported to relieve depressive symptoms in new onset of Parkinson's disease, improving symptoms in 90.3% of patients and resulting in a mean Hamilton rating scale for depression, HRSD, decrease of 11.7 points just in one study. By enhancing availability of dopamine, L-DOPA improved processing and gait speed, so walking speed, in depressed older adults. This was a fascinating study I stumbled upon. So even when treatment with antidepressant medication successfully reduced depressive symptoms, it often doesn't improve the slowed processing speed or restore cognitive functioning to normal levels of performance. No studies have really investigated the effects of antidepressant treatment on depressed older adults with a slowing gait. And if you ask me, we're long overdue to include gait detail in research alongside depression. I bring up this study because it's fascinating to see or to prove that when we are depressed, we don't move as much or as quickly. And I think this is kind of what this is conveying is that these older individuals who are depressed, you know, they're lacking most likely dopamine. So they don't have a lot of motivation and drive as well as their body is in poorer health. It is more aged. They're walking slow and they're in their emotions and they're slowly moving through all of it. What's really cool to see is L-DOPA which obviously turns into dopamine, is directly assisting individuals with increasing their gait. And so therefore, it is totally uplifting them, in my words. Next, we are going to talk about pregnenolone. Honestly, I have a joke about this one. Every time I pick up the bottle, I say to myself, pregnant and alone. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, so pregnenolone. Research has shown pregnenolone to be beneficial for mood support and balance. Specifically, 
Pregnenolone is reported to have a positive effect on the following. Neuronal excitability and synaptic plasticity. It has many other functions in mood regulation. Neuroprotection from free radicals. Balancing the stress response and improving cognitive performance. In a study of 15 adults with mood imbalance, so again, not too many humans, blood levels of pregnenolone were lower among those with low mood compared to controls. When I got my levels tested, my pregnenolone, my progesterone, just like everything in that category was just like bottomed out. And so I started supplementing with pregnenolone. Among 70 adults with mood imbalance who received either pregnenolone or placebo, the pregnenolone group trended toward greater improvement in mood relative to the placebo group. Additionally, an eight-week double-blind randomized placebo-controlled study that compared 30 milligrams per day or 200 milligrams per day of pregnenolone, 400 milligrams per day of DHEA, and placebo found that those given the 30 milligrams pregnenolone had significant reductions in positive symptom scores along with an improvement in attention and working memory performance. Further improvements were not found among groups given higher amounts of pregnenolone though. DHEA will be discussed in an upcoming From Struggle to Success episode, but not today. Pregnenolone plays a key role in hormonal balance as a key precursor to cortisol, DHEA, and progesterone and helps to maintain balance in the body's stress response system. In addition, pregnenolone has been shown to support a balanced mood and promote cognitive health by modulating the transmission of messages between neurons influencing learning and memory processes. Since there is strong evidence that pregnenolone levels diminish with advancing age, restoring these levels may also help support overall brain function and sense of well-being. Pregnenolone supplementation is particularly important for those that have been found to have deficient hormone levels through testing, that's me, as well as those who need cortisol to DHEA ratio support. Again, we're not going to get into that today. Cortisol is like six podcast episodes if you ask me. DHEA, at least one, if not two. Pregnenolone levels naturally peak during youth and begin a long, slow decline with age. I have taken pregnenolone for years to assist with my reduced progesterone levels. Progesterone is pivotal for energy levels, sex drive, mood, and ability to focus. So see how pregnenolone is really important here? You might have been like, oh, you just keep talking about memory, mood, and focus. Because if you don't got that, you're going to be crabby and then some. Progesterone and estrogen are two hormones all humans should be aware of. If you don't know your hormone levels, I strongly urge you to empower yourself with that life-changing information and at least do a simple yet all-encompassing at-home test. You can get 15% off at-home test kits via the link in the description below for Everlywell. Why do I bring up pregnenolone? Well, two reasons. The first reason is that pregnenolone balances the stress response system, which can directly reduce symptoms of depression. The second reason is that pregnenolone assists and balances our hormones. If our hormones are out of whack, then we will very likely live a life out of whack, which further dysregulates our nervous system. 
All right, this next one that I'm going to talk about is the most important, maybe. I, I, wow. Wow, I'm blown away. And anytime I have a client or even a follower message me, usually the beginning of their upgrading story or their betterment story involves them including this into the regimen. So what is it? Fish oil? <laughs> so because depression appears less common in nations where people eat large amounts of fish, scientists have investigated whether fish oils may prevent and or treat depression and other mood disorders. Depression has been linked to suboptimal levels of omega-3 essential fatty acids. So if we don't have adequate levels of omega-3, we likely have depression. The best dietary sources of omega-3 fats are cold water, fatty fish like salmon and sardines, but these likely are not potent enough to offer the dosage that we need to thrive. It is best to supplement omega-3. Deficiency of one particular omega-3, which is called DHA, omega-3 contains Two important components, EPA and DHA. Deficiency of one particular omega-3, DHA, is linked to depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. The other omega-3, EPA, has also been found to reduce depression. If fish is not a regular part of your diet, consider, super consider, taking a fish oil supplement that contains both DHA and EPA. Triglyceride is the quality form, and that is the one that I recommend taking. There's another form that is ethylated, and it's, it's just not as good. In one study, subjects were injected with, follow me on this one, lipopolysaccharides to induce depression. They were then given the EPA, and depression did not rise. So this lipopolysaccharides can create depression or depression symptoms or effects. Not 1,000% sure, and I don't want to say something inaccurate. And so they gave people this thing that will make you depressed, but then they also gave them EPA, and they found they did not become depressed. Now, obviously, they gave people the lipopolysaccharides and not EPA, and depression came forth. This directly shows that the presence of EPA reduces or swashes the ability to go in a depressed state. Your best dosage for omega-3 is 2 grams combining both DHA and EPA. A current meta-analysis provides evidence that EPA may be, may be more efficacious than DHA in treating depression. In a 2017 meta-analysis, they found that the combinations of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids so EPA and GLA help to improve symptoms of inattention in children with ADHD. Love it. This was a cool study. And obviously, we're just children that grew up. So These fatty acids were also vital for the maintenance of normal brain function throughout life. They are abundant in the cell membranes of brain cells, preserving cell membrane health, and facilitating communication between brain cells. When animals are fed diets without omega-3 fatty acids, the amount of DHA in their brain decreases and they tend to experience deficits in learning and memory. 
In older adults, lower levels of DHA in the blood have been associated with smaller brain size, a sign of accelerated brain aging. Additionally, people tended to see greater effects when the fish oil supplement contained higher doses of EPA. Having a low omega-3 index is comparable to humans that smoke cigarettes. I'm serious. Overall state of health and life longevity is decreased and on par with cigarette smokers. It is totally worth, in my personal opinion, to at least try supplementing omega-3 and see if it helps you and definitely find out if you were deficient. I don't think we want our life outcome to be comparable to cigarette smokers. Omega-3 blunts and resolves all sorts of super serious inflammation. And remember, inflammation is just not like us being puffy. Inflammation is a pretty serious matter internally. It is a powerful anti-inflammatory that majorly modulates how we think, feel, and age. A big question is krill oil or fish oil? Krill supplements are usually too low to get two grams of omega-3 and are kind of notoriously rancid. Also, fish oils always need to stay stored in the fridge, always. If you're traveling, I understand, it's fine. A lot of people keep them in their cabinets, they don't even know, they're fine, they're still living. But word to be better, Put it in your fridge. A bit more on omega-3 because it is that important to all humans. And then we're going to get to tryptophan. Omega-3 fatty acids play a very important role during brain development, partly through their regulation of the serotonin system. Reduced intake of EPA and DHA during neural development, so when we're developing, results in decreased serotonin synthesis, storage, release, and receptor function. Meaning, if we do not receive sufficient amounts of omega-3 while growing up, it could have affected us internally and therefore we experience that today. It is predicted that supplementing with vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acids, and other key micronutrients to reach sufficiently high serum levels will boost serotonin production and function in the brain, thereby improving cognitive function and limiting impulsive behavior. And that's really great for those of us that have some sort of mania in our life. Omega-3 supplements can give antidepressants a boost, particularly in those people who don't respond well to medication. And this is what a new study has found. So that's awesome to learn that omega-3 will assist whatever antidepressants you are currently taking. The International Evidence Review reveals fish oils and vitamin D can increase the effectiveness of antidepressants used to treat clinical depression. So, take omega-3 with your SSRI if you are prescribed one. The most effective omega-3 preparations appear to have at least 60% EPA, so more EPA, relative to DHA. While DHA is thought to be less effective as an antidepressant, it may have protective effects against suicide. Wow. It is important to be more cautious in patients with bipolar depression because the omega-3s may bring on mania, as can most antidepressants. Did you know that? In these individuals, 
I recommend using omega-3 cautiously and preferably in combination with a prescription mood stabilizer. And to note, mood stabilizers are different than SSRIs and mood stabilizers and SSRIs are different than antipsychotics. Moving on to tryptophan. Tryptophan is an amino acid I was wary to talk about in that previous supplement episode because you have to be so careful with it. Tryptophan is an essential amino acid that's a precursor to both serotonin and melatonin, which is our body's natural sleep hormone. Super important. And I'm going to say it here because I say it always, really shouldn't supplement melatonin. If you are, no more than 0.3 milligrams. Love you. Tryptophan is an amino acid we get from food. Sound familiar? Turkey, Thanksgiving, get sleepy. Tryptophan converts to serotonin in the brain, not in the gut, just to be clear. It also increases dopamine, endorphins, and norepinephrine, which is adrenaline up in our brain, three brain chemicals vital to positive mood. Several clinical studies have shown that it works as well for depression as prescription antidepressants. So tryptophan has been found to work as well for depression as prescription drugs. A wide variety of disorders have been correlated with low levels of tryptophan. Besides depression, tryptophan has therapeutic value for anxiety, insomnia, migraine headaches, obsessive compulsive disorders, and seasonal effect disorder. I will say tryptophan really helps with my seasonal effect. Wow. But I have to be very careful because for me, tryptophan and certain serotonogic supplementations can cause not only mania for me, but insomnia. There's a strange paradox when it comes to getting tryptophan from food. Tryptophan is found in animal proteins like meat and eggs, for example, but the presence of protein blocks the synthesis of serotonin from tryptophan. For this reason, tryptophan supplements work better to increase the body's level of tryptophan than the tryptophan found in protein-based foods. Produce foods that contain high levels of tryptophan are tart cherry, kiwi, pineapple, plantains, bananas, plums, and tomatoes. I talked extensively about kiwi and tart cherry in the food and supplement episode from a while ago, and I'm going to talk even more in an upcoming Happy Foods episode, which will cover all the rest and then some. A word of caution, do not take supplemental tryptophan along with an SSRI. When taken together, they can cause a potentially serious condition known as serotonin syndrome. Acute tryptophan depletion is associated with increased pain sensitivity, acoustic startle, that's me a lot of times, motor activity, and aggression in humans. This is me. Tryptophan deficiency increases anxiety and irritability in humans and may modulate aggressiveness and the response to stress in animals. So in the beginning of this episode, I mentioned if you are more like activated, usually all the time, you need more serotonin. This is what we're talking about, or tryptophan. If you are more so lazy and unmotivated, you need things that are going to bring on more dopamine, like L-DOPA. Supplementing tryptophan may result in insomnia, which I absolutely experience and have mentioned, and therefore, 
I usually can't directly supplement tryptophan without getting some negative effects. It's unfortunate because I get positive effects in some ways, and then in other ways, I'm like, oh, buddy, this isn't working for me. If I need tryptophan, though, or aka more serotonin, then I will eat pineapple kiwi and supplement tart cherry supplements, as well as I'll take kana. So here's kind of how I go about it. In the morning, I take kana. And then, honestly, if, if it's really bad, I'll take tryptophan as soon as I wake up because I need that to like do the full day thing. I can't let that get anywhere near my sleep time. And then I will eat pineapple and kiwi throughout the day. You know, tomato and all the other stuff is really good too. And then more sort towards the evening, then I'll start popping the tart cherry supplements. Tart cherry juice is awesome. It tastes good. It's so expensive. So I like the supplements. I like to be cost effective in basically anything that I do. So sometimes I will eat stuff. Sometimes I will drink stuff. Sometimes I will pop a pill. It's all kind of what is most affordable. All right, this one was really interesting to me because I am so wary of caffeine due to my anxiety, even though I love coffee and I drank it for over 15 years. I've now learned that I need to move away from caffeine so I don't consume it anymore. And that includes teas with caffeine. But green tea, huh, green tea can significantly reduce the risk of depression, etc. So what's going on with green tea? There is an active compound in green tea called EGCG. And I'm not even going to try and say the full name. Wow, it's a big one. And it is thought to be larger, largely responsible for tea's antidepressant properties. A single cup, so 200 milliliters, of green or white tea contains 25 to 200 milligrams of EGCG. Black tea contains much lower levels of EGCG, maybe 20 milligrams, as it is converted during the oxidation process to this whole other thing, and then it just like boop. EGCG supplements are considered safe for most people when taken at commonly used dosages, so about 300 to 400 milligrams per day, but high dosages, for example, 800 to 1600 milligrams of EGCG per day, may negatively affect liver function. Whoa. On, I don't know about you, but I don't mess around with liver, and you're going to learn that in a bit when we talk about croutam. EGCG increases resilience to stress and is as effective for anxiety as anti-anxiety drugs. So the EGCG in green tea is as effective for anxiety as the drugs used for anxiety. One way it works is by normalizing the activity of GABA a primary relaxing brain chemical often referred to as nature's Valium. Another way that EGCG works is by altering brainwave patterns, putting you in a relaxed yet attentive state similar to meditation. Initial research was focused on green tea, but they later found that the GABA levels increase not only in green tea, but also in black tea and oolong tea. I know I mentioned white tea before, I know I mentioned white tea before. I personally do not think the EGCG is prevalent enough in white tea. I will say oolong and green, and you're going to learn another one in a second. Very good. 
Initial research was focused on green tea. EGCG may reduce caffeine-induced increases in blood pressure and heart rate and may decrease the levels of catecholamines in the blood. I always suck at saying that one. Therefore, EGCG counteracts caffeine-induced cardiovascular activity. The stimulant effects of caffeine should be reduced by the amount of EGCG in the green tea. Knowing that the stimulating effects of caffeine are actually reduced by the presence of EGCG makes me feel hopeful because my anxiety doesn't permit me to comfortably consume caffeine. I can consume it, but I'm not going to be all that comfortable. If you'd like to dive into the neuroscience of caffeine, check out episode number two. (laughs) It is best to get EGCG from green tea rather than from a supplement since EGCG supplements are prone to degradation and are very poorly utilized by the body. So drink up and get that EGCG in your green tea. Additionally, we'll miss out on the synergy between EGCG and two other substances in green tea if we don't drink it. And these two substances are caffeine and L-theanine, another relaxing compound. These three potent substances work together to improve memory, attention, and learning. Drink green tea if your depression is accompanied by stress, anxiety, or problems with focus and concentration. L-theanine is an amino acid naturally found in a tea plant, and it is what gives matcha its slightly sweet notes. Compared to all other teas, green tea is known to have the greatest amounts of L-theanine. And within the green tea category, matcha is known to have the highest concentrations. I love L-theanine, and I take it every evening. I recommend it weekly on social media for cognitive stress reduction. Magnesium is its stress-reducing homie for our body. So L-theanine is for the brain and magnesium for the body. You can learn loads on L-theanine in the previous supplement episode number five. Apologies for any weird sounds. My larger dog just woke up. (laughs) Moving on from green tea or EGCG is acetyl-L-carnitine. This one changed my life years ago. I cannot get enough of this stuff. And I started taking acetyl-L-carnitine years ago for my movement practice and training. So acetyl-L-carnitine also known as ALC or Alcar, A-L-C-A-R, is an amino acid with well-documented brain-boosting properties. ALC works largely by creating acetylcholine. There's that other neurotransmitter. This primary neurotransmitter is associated with memory and learning. Acetylcholine is major, right? I'm not gonna super get into the science of it today, You can choose to trust me on this or research it on your own. Acetylcholine activity is the target of Alzheimer drugs, for example. So just to be clear, acetylcholine, acetyl-L-carnitine are different. Acetyl-L-carnitine works largely by creating acetylcholine. Great, moving on. All right, I'm gonna refer to acetyl-L-carnitine as either ACL or carnitine moving forward. Just know when I mention these, they are always referencing acetyl-L-carnitine. ALC has fast-acting antidepressant properties. Carnitine kicks in often within a week 
working faster than prescription antidepressants. This effect is even noticed in seniors who are typically slow to respond. No pun intended there. L-carnitine has an essential role in the transfer of activated long-chain fatty acids into the mitochondria in a series of reactions called the carnitine shuttle so that they can undergo an oxidation. I just have to say, the carnitine shuttle sounds adorable. Imagine if they changed it to the carnitine shuffle. The carnitine shuttle is essential to prevent accumulation of long-chain fatty acids and long-chain other things that I'm not going to confuse you with that can be deleterious to cells. Just to be clear, ALC is the acetyl derivative of L-carnitine. Acetyl L-carnitine. ALC has been shown to have greater absorption in the small intestine than L-carnitine. So if you are looking for mental health assistance and you want to take carnitine, acetyl L-carnitine is your go-to. It's super linked in multiple blog posts. So if you even want that fast-acting Amazon link and all that, there you go. ALC has also been shown to significantly increase dopamine levels in parts of the brain, including the hippocampus, the striatum, and the cortex. A seven-day administration of ALC in rats increased dopamine and serotonin output in the nucleus accumbens shell. Very, very good. I'm not going to explain what the nucleus accumbens... I'm not going to explain what the nucleus accumbens is today. Google it if you'd like, especially then you can get an image. Um, but super crucial, super awesome, super pivotal. Emerging findings suggest that supplementation with iron and acetyl L-carnitine may reduce symptoms of distractibility and inattention in some cases of ADHD. I 100% agree. I have to supplement iron thanks to my anemia and I take it alongside my daily dose of acetyl-carnitine. Large prospective placebo-controlled studies are needed though before zinc, iron, or acetyl-carnitine can be generally recommended for the treatment of ADHD. But this is an exciting launch pad in my opinion. I also serve as a direct example that combining with iron calms me the F down, which helps me focus rather than bounce from thought to thought. I have always found that supplementing iron, even on its own, is immensely beneficial for my cognitive functioning. So L-carnitine, which we make endogenously on our own, and then acetyl L-carnitine, which is what we take, play antidepressant roles by improving brain energy metabolism, regulating neurotransmitters, and neuroplasticity. Research has found that the levels of ALC in people and rodents with depression are significantly reduced. So what this means is, just like with inositol, we find that people with depression are living with lower levels of carnitine, or is it acetylcarnitine, and inositol. Chronic acetyl-carnitine alters brain energy metabolism and increases noradrenaline and serotonin content in healthy mice. This is good. Noradrenaline is a good thing. Clinical studies have shown that L-carnitine supplementation can improve the depression state of male uremic patients and cancer patients. In contrast, acetyl-L-carnitine increases much less dopamine release, 
although it is faster than conventional selective serotonin and or norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor and tricyclic antidepressants. Hmm. So acetylocarnitine is a less potent and slower antidepressant than ketamine, but it is devoid of abuse risk. Ketamine, highly risky for substance abuse. I don't know why they are letting people use it as a prescription of some sort. I, I mean, I do. It's because they've found out how to make money off of it by turning it into a nose spray. America. In the next episode from Struggle to Success, I interviewed a psilocybin business owner that offers microdosing to her clients. She shares a terrifying story of how she had a client who was depressed and he started receiving ketamine treatment, legal ketamine treatment, and he was even given a nasal spray to take home. And not only did it not help his depression unless he was just literally actively doing it, but he also then became extremely addicted to ketamine. Like it even freaked him out. So the psilocybin microdosing regimen not only took away his depression, but it removed the ketamine addiction. That's all I'll say for now. Check out that episode. All right, really quickly, I'm going to re-bring up kava, but I super talked about it in the food and supplements episode. Kava is a traditional relaxing tea that was used in South Pacific cultures. Now it's everywhere. It's an extract that has been standardized and used as a natural remedy, mainly for anxiety. And I also use it to super relax my body too. It is as effective for anxiety as prescription anti-anxiety medications, but it's also been found to be an effective alternative to antidepressant drugs. Additionally, it helps humans kick the alcohol dependency, and I've seen this firsthand, I talked about kava in length, so this is pretty much it for today. Go check out that other episode. As promised, though, I am going to get into the life-changing kratom or kratom or kratom, but please be mindful that you can become addicted to kratom. Kratom is a wild one. In a low dose, kratom acts like a stimulant similar to medications commonly used to treat ADHD. At higher doses, kratom is like an opioid. The most common use of it are to relieve pain, depression, and opioid addiction. Almost everyone I know has puked the first time that they consume. Almost everybody I know has puked the first time they have consumed kratom. This being said, it is usually a far more potent beverage than I ever even consume, as well as it is mixed with kava. So you can go to, they're called kava bars, and you can get kava and or kratom, especially here in Florida. Super popular. They're such strong drinks. It blows my mind. I am somebody that has a tolerance to kratom. And these just make me even feel like a lot. Like, wow. Um, so people new to it will go and they'll go to one of these kava bars and get like a full beverage. I make mine at home. And they just drink it really fast, right? Drinking kratom in and kava very fast will absolutely result in nausea. How I safely consume kratom is by scooping no more than a half teaspoon into a half cup of water and then I top it with OJ. I also like to mix in D3 and dicalcium phosphate. 
L-theanine and inositol mix well with Kratom too. I drink this from 9 a.m. to no later than 1 p.m. It is a very slow consumption throughout the early afternoon and the effects last all day. Like it is 6 p.m. and I am feeling Kratom great still and I have been talking for forever, which is not my forte. So keep in mind, Kratom can increase acid in the gut, especially when paired with citrus juices. I have to be very careful about my gut microbiome and all of that. The difference between kava and kratom is that kava is made from the roots of a plant, whereas kratom is made from the leaves of a different plant in Asia. There are different veins of kratom that are served. The white and yellow veins typically give people energy, whereas the red veins calm consumers down. I consume yellow Borneo and green Mengda during the day. I don't mix them, it's one or the other. I think yellow Borneo is a bit more chill and then green man dies like when I'm like, I need as much energy as possible. I do have a red blend and though it does offer euphoria, definitely, and a relaxed body, it can still feel stimulating on my mind and my heart. So I don't reach for red too often, at least not at night. Some science on Kratom that might sound confusing th thanks to some big words but offer insight into its awesome abilities. So just stick with me on this, then we're gonna to get to ginseng, which is a game changer, life changer. Its major bioactive alkaloid is mitraginine. We're just gonna call it mitra. Mitra exerts its analgesic properties by acting on the opioid receptors. So kratom is not an opiate, but it basically acts like one. One of its active Metabolites, which is a 7-hydroshmishmishma, <laughs> not going to say that big name, is found to be 40 times more potent than mitraginine and 10 times more potent than morphine. Interestingly, current research suggests that mitraginine behaves as an atypical opioid agonist, so not antagonist, agonist, possessing analgesic activities with less severe side effects than those typical of opioids, so true opioids, opiates. I can absolutely attest that Kratom feels like an opiate, as well as it feels like caffeine, but without the jitters. It feels like a lot of things, to be honest. It's amazing. My heart feels so open and my mind feels alert when I consume Kratom. And what I mean by open is that my autonomic nervous system is more at rest and therefore I can process more, I can receive more, my heart is more open and I, I likely have a more optimistic mindset as well as I am more alert. And that's where the norepinephrine and other neurochemicals are really beneficial for my cognitive functioning for the day. There's a lot of science on Kratom that I think we could get lost in, to be perfectly honest. There's also more words that I likely cannot pronounce. In summation, it is a plant to be very careful with and to not exceed a dosage of one tablespoon per day if consuming loose powder. That's just my recommendation, opinion, whatever. I have 
seen people need an ambulance at a kava bar. That's all I'm going to say. Long-term administration of Kratom causes insomnia, anorexia, weight loss, dry mouth, polyuria, psychosis, and the development of tolerance and dependence. It is definitely addictive. So I make sure to not consume Kratom at least once per week. Usually on the weekends, I don't consume Kratom. Why? And you have to ask yourself, you know, what do you need something for? Is it necessary? And is what I'm doing in this day worth consuming a supplement that does have negative effects on liver and other things? Kratom is one of my most favorites, but I also worry about it the most. I am always doing things to support my liver, so I take fenugreek, which is delicious. It makes you smell like maple syrup. <laughs> as well as on my non-Kratom days, I have to supplement more L-theanine than usual because my cognitive state is a little off on my non-Kratom days. Again, I've built a bit of a tolerance, so I'm mindful of that. Okay, let's talk about ginseng. Ginseng has been used as an adaptogen to treat illness, both as a tonic as well as a rejuvenator. In modern societies, we rarely depend on herbal remedies as the only treatment for critical and potential fatal diseases. Can't make money off of it. I said it. However, our lives involve excessive amounts of brain activity and modern life involves constant exposure to stress. When under certain kinds of stress, the human body secretes hormones and inflammatory cytokines, and chronic stress can promote the development of anxiety, depression, and in severe cases, even panic disorders. Therefore, adaptogens are often used to cope with the day-to-day and or workplace stress. Ginseng shows superior regulation of stress as compared with that shown by other adaptogens. This efficacy as an anti-stress agent has been demonstrated using various behavioral conditioned stress tests such as swimming and immobilization tests. These were major. Like looking at these tests, I was like, I don't, I would never want to be a test subject. That seems so stressful. In vivo studies have also shown that ginseng has excellent anti-stress effects as compared to appropriate controls. Ginseng is effective in memory improvement and in the direct prevention of degenerative brain diseases such as Alzheimer's. The neuroprotective effect of ginseng may be useful in the prevention of depression. So they're not totally sure yet, but come on, this is great. Indirectly, ginseng's ability to enhance memory can ameliorate anxiety. There it is again with that whole increased memory focus and lowered stress anxiety. So are you noticing a trend here with memory enhancement and anxiety reduction? The mechanism by which ginseng prevents disease is via the regulation of the endocrine and immune systems. Ginseng regulates the HPA access. This is huge for neuro everything. Ginseng thus prevents various diseases by ameliorating tissue injury and immune cell death while modulating immune cells in order to limit inflammatory responses. The HPA access is the major pathway regulating the immune response to stress. HPA is important to all of us and if you live with PTSD, depression, or anxiety, ginseng is certainly one to consider. 
When a person faces a stressful environment, ginseng can improve their response by regulating the function of the HPA access. Ginseng also has applications beyond everyday use in healthy people. It provides a potential treatment agent for patients with HPA access disorders associated with hypersecretion of cortisol, including depression, asthma, hypertension, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Identification of the mechanisms underlying these effects of ginsengs could have the potential to provide approaches to the prevention of various diseases. Therefore, further research is definitely needed to investigate how ginseng modulates hormone secretion. So cool! The takeaway here is that ginseng effectively suppresses stress, which is a major cause of depression. Additionally, the more stressed we are, the poorer we sleep. Poor sleep is one of the greatest causes of depression, and continued poor sleep will exacerbate depression. I talk about sleep a lot because it literally is our lifeline and anchor to mental health well-being, whether you believe it or not. We have two more to discuss, even though there is about six more that I really wanted to cover today. Holy basil is a powerful nootropic supplement. It should help improve memory by boosting acetylcholine in our brain and may help protect against neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer and dementia. You can safely take up to 3,000 milligrams of holy basil daily if needed. Research suggests that Tulsi helps maintain catecholamines like epinephrine, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Serotonin levels may improve too. Really quickly here, epinephrine and norepinephrine are adrenaline. Norepinephrine is adrenaline in the brain. Epinephrine is adrenaline in the body. Moving on. Holy basil, or Tulsi, is a culinary and medicinal aromatic herb that has been used with Ayurvedic medicine for more than 3,000 years. In Ayurvedic medicine, holy basil is called Tulsi, which translates as the incomparable one. It is one of a small number of herbs categorized as Rasayana, the category applied to elixirs and tonic herbs prized for rejuvenation and revitalization. It was believed to guard the body from stress of all types while keeping the mind sharp and the body healthy. In modern times, holy basil is categorized as an adaptogen supporting a healthy stress response. I drank so much holy basil, aka Tulsi, this week. I had a very tough week. I could tell my dopamine levels were just being knocked down. I was really not motivated. Just a lot of stuff was happening that we would label negative and discouraging. So I drank holy basil like no other. It really, really helps, especially paired with acetylcarnitine, kana, kratom. Those are my go-tos. Holy basil supports memory and learning, working memory, executive function, attention, sleep, serotonin signaling, dopamine signaling, adrenergic signaling, acetylcholine signaling, brain antioxidant defenses, and neuroprotective functions. Holy basil offers so much to us. In 2009 study in India demonstrated a 39% reduction in symptoms of stress, insomnia, heart palpitations, headaches, fatigue, irritability, sexual dysfunction, gastrointestinal distress, and more 
over a six-week period with participants taking 1,200 milligrams per day of holy basil. Studies show that holy basil has antimicrobial, adaptogenic, anti-diabetic, anti-inflammatory, anti-carcinogenic, radioprotective, immunomodulatory, neuroprotective, and cardioprotective actions, among many other benefits. I really wanted to take the time today to talk about lemon balm, which is my nighttime go-to herb, but I also really felt the need to discuss Cisandra. So I'm going to mention lemon balm in detail in the upcoming Happy Foods episode. I'm not really sure if that's going to be the name, but you get the gist of the upcoming episode. So let's get into the amazing antidepressant properties of Cisandra. Cisandra has been known to be taken for depression. A recent animal study found that Cisandra extract, sorry if I'm saying this wrong, had an antidepressant effect on mice. Additional mouse studies run by the same lead researcher solidified the findings. Yes! However, Cisandra and its potential effect on depression hasn't been extensively studied in humans. So if you're a human that takes Cisandra for depression, please share your findings in the YouTube comment section or in the website forum. Really, you could help so many people by sharing your real life story, just like how I hope my real life experiences help all of you. It is suggested that Shizandra extract could improve the depression-like emotional status and associated cognitive deficits in CUMS, which is chronic, unpredictable, mild stress. And they were looking at this in mice, which might be mediated by regulation of brain-derived neurotrophic factor levels in the hippocampus, as well as upregulating the signaling pathway that mediates a variety of neuronal events that plays an important role in maintaining normal brain function. It took a lot to get there. It also upregulates the pathway that has been shown to play a pivotal role in neuroprotection. It is recommended if you are taking a prescribed SSRI to take it along with omega-3 or D3, not tryptophan. What I discussed here today is not widely known by primary and family doctors, just not. The effects of supplements on a neurobiological level is growing in research, but is not commonly taught information, unfortunately. In America, doctors are taught to push agendas and prescription as to get financial paybacks. If you ask me, a lot of doctors have become salespeople even if they initially intended on helping people through the practice of medicine. Alas, money makes people do selfish things, though they might show up acting and looking like they are helping the community. We should always be aware of the fallacy to appeal to authority figures. Take every single thing in life with a hefty grain of salt. Implement due diligence and always stay up to date and informed on your own. Furthermore, if we want to feel better and live better, then we need to do better at saying no to alcohol as any sort of remedy in our life. It is also crucial to eliminate intake of caffeine if you are living with anxiety. It is always up to us. We always have control, even if it seems like we have lost it. Control never truly slips away from our grasp.
If you want to learn even more, check out the blog where you can also find recommended products and supporting links in each blog post. You can also enjoy two free lifestyle success courses as well as other options to upgrade your life on the website. Please, by all means, feel free to subscribe, like, follow, share, comment, all of the everythings to get this information out to more people. All the best today, Beeb. You got this. This is Breezy signing off from another episode of From Struggle to Success.